0: I have a major announcement before the start of this episode. Podster Podcast has now joined the Flying Machine Network. Flying Machine Network is a community of super talented content creators who are making awesome, unique, and original podcasts. To learn more about the network and to check out the other amazing Flying Machine Network podcasts, check out flyingmachine.network. Now, you might be wondering, what does this mean for the future of Potstar Podcast? Over time, having a community of content creators to share ideas with will be instrumental in honing the quality of Potstar Podcast. You will also be exposed to the work of these excellent creators I'll be working with, and there will be some other really cool things coming down the pike as well. But don't worry. The core voice of Potstar podcast will continue to be hard hitting, independent, and from the heart. I'm honored to receive the opportunity to join Flying Machine Network, and I hope you, my listeners, look forward to this new chapter. Now, as promised, part two of Riverside Chats with myself and my husband Chuckles. I am your host, Jay Poole. And this is Pot Stir Podcast. We've talked a little bit about Democrats bringing in the whole, like, balance of, like, kind of talking to the base and bringing in Trump supporters and the common ground, right? So, moving on to the Republicans. So, the Republicans right now are... They are on top right now. They hold the presidency. They hold Congress, the Supreme Court. They kind of have the cards. But the change in demographics over time, they may not forever. So... Do you think that they are good with kind of do what they're doing or do you think that they might want to try to engage more voters that maybe aren't necessarily Republicans to come over to their fold?
1: For right now and leading up to the next election in 2020, I think that they're, that Republicans overall are probably a little better off, will at least still be able to appeal strongly to their base. And still have enough votes to win that election, then I think that if they end up winning that in the long term, trying to get up to the 2024 election, then that's when they should probably try to look more towards bringing in the disenfranchised Democrats.
0: Look kind of like they did get some of them, though. Because there's a number of people who voted for Obama that ended up voting for Trump. Yeah,
1: but even with that, I mean, you can get a few of the voters, but at the end of the day, you're gonna want more.
0: Right. So, Black people in the United States are overwhelmingly Democrat and have been for the past few decades. Do you think that maybe a long-term strategy for the Republicans is to try to appeal to them as opposed to, like, trying to keep them from voting? I
1: mean, uh, absolutely sure, because the the more support the Republicans have, obviously that's going to lead to more election wins, in a little better harmony between the races, because let's be for real here, between some black people and some white people. Things are a little rocky right now, but I think that if the Republicans do try to go and appeal to black people, that'll be nothing but good for them. But the question is how, like I know that a big thing in the last election that at least some black people focused on was Obama's hometown Chicago, the amount of gun violence in Chicago not only didn't decrease under Obama, it increased, despite more draconian gun laws, despite the fact that they had some of the toughest gun laws in the country. I think that's a thing that really made a lot of people angry, because Obama spent all his time talking about gun violence everywhere but Chicago, or at least he didn't spend a whole lot of time, and he spent even less time trying to figure out what to do about it. He was all talk and no action at the end of the
0: day. I wonder how much of uh, the whole Chicago thing, though, is media-slash-Trump-driven. In a sense, there is gun violence in Chicago, but Chicago is by no means the murder capital.
1: I mean, of course, it's not the murder capital, but it's up pretty high. It, I think that I think Chicago's number two, actually.
0: I don't think it's that high, actually. Yeah, look and see what the top cities with the highest murder rates
1: okay so the the latest one that i can find is from november 2017
0: okay that's probably going to be as close as you're going to find because it takes a while to house statistics like that
1: okay so i was mistaken number one as of november 2017 is actually st louis
0: is there like a top
1: five or Uh, yeah that's that's what i'm looking at right
0: now okay
1: wow chicago's not even top 10
0: that's the point
1: we I mean, even with, with Chicago being out of the top 10, it doesn't change the fact that a lot of the cities in this top 10 have the same issue. A lot of downtrodden people, a lot of areas that are infested by gang activity. At the end of the day, that's a big issue. But again, another thing, you don't know how to take care of it, how to handle it, what to do about it.
0: The thing is, is that it's not going to be one solution. The problem is that in a lot of those places, it seems that the only solution that is used on a sustained basis is more cops. Clearly that doesn't work. And, you know, not only doesn't work, but it ends up being that there's more friction between the police and the community, including law-abiding citizens within those communities, right? And people end up just trusting the police for a various amount of reasons. And then that exacerbates the issue.
1: Another big issue, though, is the fact that because of this distrust between black citizens and the police, that no one wants to talk to the police when they come to try to investigate a murder. And at that point, then the person that committed the shooting gets away with it, and then they can go on
0: and do it again. Right. And that's what sucks about it. And this is why like, it is important for there to be better relationships between the police and the citizens.
1: What do you think is a way that they could try to promote or that they could try to accomplish a better relationship between cops and citizens? Because at, at this point, I don't see it happening, at least not very quickly.
0: Well, I don't think it's going to happen quickly. A lot of these places have been like this for a long time for a lot of reasons. That's not an overnight thing.
1: Of course not, but I know that a lot of people would prefer that it happened very quickly as opposed to being a little patient and actually achieving results.
0: But see, that's the thing. I, I hate to say it like this, but I think people need to get over that in the sense that, and I don't mean that lightly, right? Because, I mean, people do die every day, and those lives are important, right? Of course. But at the same time... We live in such a culture where it's instant gratification. You want everything now. Everything is at our fingertips with our cell phones. We can. There's so much technology. There's so much that we get instantly or almost instantly, right? Right. And so because we're such an instant gratification culture, there tends to be not a lot of patience to deal with issues that are long-standing issues. And people then get into the whole thing of either... They're looking at the groups that are dealing with these issues as inferior like oh well, why can't they fix this problem this has been going on for a long time racism died in the 60s blah, right that kind of thing but not looking at the fact that a lot of these issues are multi-layered and generational and have long lasting effects so with issues that have long lasting effects we need to have solutions that are long game solutions so kind of going back to the police and black community right i think one thing that would help is to have more officers that actually live in and around the communities that they serve
1: i believe that you've said at one point or another that the majority of detroit cops don't live in the city
0: right i mentioned a couple of episodes ago yeah in detroit about three quarters of the police there don't live within the city limits I would have
1: to agree with you. I think that having cops actually living within the city that they serve would absolutely do a lot to help because the people will they'll see the cops out and about. They'll become familiar with them. The cops will become familiar with the citizens. They'll be able to look at these people and recognize them and know that they're not, you know, doing something that they shouldn't be doing.
0: Right. Yeah. You know,
1: 95% of the time.
0: Yeah, because I think that just like what you're saying, like, I think if you had more police living in those communities that they're serving, right? Then so people will know who they are, police will know who their citizens are, right? And they can build those relationships and build social currency. So if something does happen, right? Then citizens would be more willing to talk to the police. It's not just some random outsiders that just come in to beat on their neighbors, right? Their officer Bill next door, right? They're more willing to take that risk and talk to the police if there is more of that trust built in there.
1: Do you think that even with cops living within city limits, do you really think that that even that will be enough goodwill? That will help with the distrust or police officers that have that have killed unarmed black men over the last couple of years do you think that would help with that too or just the people being willing to talk to them
0: i think it can help both because on one hand the residents can trust the police more because they see them more on the other hand like the police will they'll live in the community the way i'm thinking about this is that they'll interact with residents on a daily basis it's not just they're going into police they're living their lives with these people right Mm -hmm. they're going in the lost house for that purpose to either try to spot danger or to respond to something that might be potentially dangerous. They get a call that's something is supposed to be dangerous, right? Right. So they're going in heightened to the idea of danger, right? And a lot of times they're going into these communities, right? So since that's happening, then if they're not living around these people, then it makes sense for them to not necessarily see them as just like them.
1: Definitely makes a lot of sense.
0: And I mean I think accountability is another thing oh of course right and when I talk about accountability I've tried to make it clear that I don't think that all cops are bad but just like any other institution if somebody screws up or if somebody's doing things that are not what should be happening right then there should be some accountability there for that
1: I, I can agree with that but I think that accountability works on both ends and in what sense like and these unarmed black men shootings, a lot of them have been very bad looks for these police officers and for their departments. But at the same time, there have been one or two that that you can say are actually justified. So accountability works on both ends in the sense that the cops need to know when they've screwed up, just like the citizens need to take accountability when, when one of their relatives or whatever have screwed up. But seems that neither side really wants to (laughs) the like the police officer will say oh i feared for my life and the citizen will say oh but he didn't do anything he was a good kid he didn't deserve this
0: there is a long list of people who have been killed by cops i think that sometimes you can try to rationalize like oh well this happened right but then there's the guy that he had a cell phone in his hand in his grandmother's backyard and got shot.
1: That obviously is just a bad situation overall. Again, something that should never have happened.
0: Mm-hmm. So the police are given the power to use force legally, right? Right. And there's a lot of power there. But then there's also a lot of responsibility.
1: Of course, and I would say that they could all use a little bit better training for restraint. Because I don't think they necessarily teach restraint in police academies.
0: I thought they did. But they just don't use it all the time. I'm not up on my
1: police academy lessons. (laughs) Like, quite frankly, the the only police academies that I'm really
0: super aware of are the ones
1: with Bobcat Goldthwait.
0: So, if you talk about citizens, citizens do bad things, right? Then they generally go to jail. There's a whole justice system that has put people away. But with police, all they have to say is, I was in fear for my life. And then nine times out of 10, they're getting out. If you treat it as above the law and there's no accountability for your actions, then it's hard to trust. Now, I do think on the other hand, some of these poor communities where you do see gang violence and gang activity, there's a lot of systemic issues that are going on there. A lot of it's really poverty.
1: Oh, of, of course, mean, okay. yeah. It's one of those things that's gonna just take time.
0: Right. Oh yeah, totally, it does take time. But I think that there needs to be kind of a movement forward. People always talk about, oh, broken families, blah, 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 right? I mean, number one, the whole thing of a lot of black people not having like the parents married, right? That doesn't necessarily mean the kids are fatherless that's the way it shows up in the data. But when you look at other research, that's actually not really what's going on. But beyond that, though, like when you do see parents split and you do see either divorce or people just not even bothering to get married in some of these communities, a lot of it is because of poverty. Because it may not cost a lot to actually get a marriage license, right? But I'm sure that we can both attest to the fact that making a life together is not always cheap.
1: I would definitely agree with that.
0: And then, if you add children to the equation, then that's a whole nother stressor. I mean, there are people that are not poor that split up after they have kids because it's stressful. Like, it adds extra stressors to a marriage. Oh, right, go get married, right? All poor people go get married. I don't think that that's going to fix anything. It's just going to lead to more separations.
1: More separations and more kids that. Unfortunately, realistically, don't have a chance.
0: I think that there has to be the multi layered approach. Like, it's not going to be just one thing, it's going to be several things, and it's going to be over time. I think that we need to have patience for that. But then I also think that we need to have understanding of how these things happen to begin with. And that's what history is up for. And I think, oh, of course. Yeah. I think too often people. Disregard history? Like, oh, well, that happened a long time ago, so why would it matter now? Uh, (laughs) well, you think that, that these things just happen just because? No. I mean, yes, people make choices, right? But a lot of times, choices are influenced by the situation you're in. So, if let's say what somebody might consider the best thing might be to go to school and get a well paying job, right? Well, we're well, arriving to that conclusion, someone who grows up with two parents and those parents are well educated, then that might be an easier conclusion to jump to than someone who grew up with parents that weren't well educated or they may have had to scrape by and they might have been separated or whatever, right? If you don't have that frame of reference, then that's going to be a harder place to jump to does happen with people right oh, of course i mean but, yeah, there's
1: uh, obviously I mean, there's uh, there's always exceptions to
0: the rule but yeah but i think that it doesn't but, uh,
1: but unfortunately well, like you said having having that frame of reference is really strong and you're really more likely to to lean towards that track versus the other right I and mean, having that example mm-hmm. around you mm-hmm.
0: it's just like when you have parents that are lawyers or doctors and their kids decide that they're going to do the same thing Would they have decided to do that if their parents were coal miners or something? I mean, could they decide to become doctors? Sure. Or lawyers? Of course, right? But it might not be the first thing that they jump to in their minds because they don't have the primary reference for it.
1: It's a lot easier to to go on one track if that's what you know.
0: Potstirer podcast will be taking part in an online campaign called Hashtag Two Pods a Day. It aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for the month of July. The hope is to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you may not have heard of. Hashtag Two Pods a Day encourages you to listen more, listen indie. Find more shows like mine by following Hashtag Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Facebook. What do you think is going to happen in the midterms? From what I've
1: seen so far, it, it looks like any support that the Democrats have had is dwindling little by little. Republicans have got a pretty firm grasp on things. But again, I, because of the fact that there are so many Trump supporters that have become disenfranchised over his policies, uh, what he's done... What he hasn't done, I think the possibility is strong that Democrats could get some power back in 2020.
0: Okay, what about 2018 in the midterms, though? That's what I'm saying. Okay, so you don't think that will happen in, in 2018, but you do think it'll, it it, there's in a
1: possibility in 2020,
0: right? I think that the Democrats still have a chance in 2018, but I think that there needs to be more effort put forth than what's happening right now. Especially in terms of really having a solid economic message, a solid message beyond just "Trump sucks."
1: Any economic message that the Democrats come up with better be really good because right now the economy is on fire.
0: The economy is on fire, but it's not. But there's still a lot of people that are left behind.
1: Of, of course, there are. But with you know, with, with a better economy, becomes more jobs more people are able to get hired on at
0: places. Having a better economy doesn't necessarily mean a lot more jobs.
1: Again, I think that we can both agree that, that both sides are bad, and that they both have some pluses, they both have some minuses. I don't know that a two-party system is quite the ideal. Of course, also, if there was, if there was a legitimate third-party candidate that, that actually had any sort of chance at all of being elected or of even getting a decent amount of votes then maybe just maybe the two major parties would be a little more willing to tout what they will do versus what the other party won't do (laughs) that's that's a big thing that they like to talk about like again beating a dead horse hillary clinton saying you know whether, you know, calling the, the Trump voters a basket of deplorables or what have you.
0: Or when the way that some Republicans will try to court black people by saying, the KKK were Democrats, and then just ignoring all of the history after the 60s. I mean, you do see both sides doing it. But I think as far as 2018, I mean, I think the Democrats can make some gains, but... I think without really having a strong economic message, and I'm not just talking about just jobs, I'm talking about like healthcare, all that kind of stuff. Without having a strong economic message and really centering on some of that, I think that they're probably not going to do as well as they hope. And if they don't do as well as they hope, and Trump is still in office in 2020, he's going to get reelected.
1: Do you realistically think that the Democrats have have any idea as to who a, uh, a candidate could be
0: that would have any actual chance of knocking Trump off in 2020? Actually, no. Well, if Trump is around, I, I don't know if it will really matter who they put up, honestly. Because the longer he's around, the stronger he's going to get. So we'll see what happens in 2018 and in 2020. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, hubby, for coming on.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. All right. So this will be it for Riverside Chats. Join me next time on Podstar Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button in iTunes or click share this show in Stitcher to share with your friends. And check out our website at potstirerpodcast.com. All episodes, social media, and more are right there. It's a one stop shop. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. I give you the incredible flying machine.